This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The Biden administration has said enacting what's called the Equality Act is a top priority. In fact, the administration has pledged to make it law in the first 100 days in office. The Equality Act is anything but equal for people of faith. In fact, it strips many conscious protections by negating Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel Matt Sharp and I discuss specific problems with the Equality Act on today's World Luther News Digest. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Congress is considering something called the Equality Act, but it's anything but equal. And we'll examine that a little bit later on in the program. Joining me today right now is Matt Sharp, who is a senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. ADF has done some incredibly good work over the years. Yeah, it really has. In fact, I look back and you just see all of these cases that we've done. Um, I talk back to my days doing the public school work. At the time, there was a lot of question of whether elementary kids had the same constitutional rights as high school kids or college kids. And we looked at that and said, this is ridiculous. Um, I know eight-year-olds that are more passionate about sharing their faith than some adults are. And to tell them that their faith is something to be ashamed of, that it's something that's not welcome in school, we just were not willing to stand for that. And so over several years, we took many cases all focused on defending the rights of elementary students to speak freely and live out their faith. And we're able to change the law nationwide so that now it's well recognized that elementary kids have the same constitutional rights as the rest of us. And I think it was just one little way that ADF has been impactful to uh, make a difference not just for us currently, but for that next generation rising up in public school to make sure that they don't have to leave their faith at home when they go to school in the morning. Well, that brings us to what's going on now in the Congress. There is something called the Equality Act. I believe it's H.R. 5 in the House, and I think there's also a Senate version has also been introduced. Uh, it has passed on almost exactly party-line votes, and uh, the Biden administration has said that it is a priority for them to see this law, to see this bill become a law. But the Equality Act, well, what does it really do? Uh, I've read over the over the bill, and uh, frankly, I find it frightening. One of the things it does that really, really bothers me is it negates the Religious Restoration Freedom Act. That's exactly right. Um, a lot of us may be familiar with uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act. We call it RIFRA for short. Um, it was actually passed in during the Clinton years um, in response to a bad Supreme Court case that seemed to hold that the government can burden religion, that it can put restrictions on the ability of people of faith to live out their faith. And in response to this, a, a bipartisan group of members of Congress joined together. The bill passed with huge majorities in both houses before being signed by Bill Clinton into law. And it has been an important protection for 
people of all faiths for the years since then. Um, everything from a Native American individual who collected eagle feathers as part of a ceremonial headdress, but found himself being prosecuted under a law that prevents collecting eagle feathers. Um, and he was saying, I'm, I'm just collecting ones that have fallen on the ground. What's the harm? Um, from cases like that, all the way up to the Hobby Lobby and Little Sisters of the Poor being told that they have to pay for abortion-inducing drugs as part of the health care plans that they want to offer their employees. So this is an important protection that the Equality Act is specifically going after and eroding so that so many individuals, religious organizations, and others are going to find themselves with less protection for their religious freedom if the Equality Act passes. Well, one of the things I've noticed in the bill is it is uh, extremely uh, heavy on the LBGTQ agenda. And uh, I can see where it would, it, it strips essentially religious protections against that, where uh, even, even mentioning that there are only two genders could get you in serious trouble. Yeah, that's exactly right. Everything from speech um, to the pronouns you use to how um, sex-separated spaces operate. So, for example, ADF represented a women's shelter in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, they worked with women, many of whom were fleeing sexually abusive situations, um, some even fleeing sex trafficking, and they provided a place to stay, um, food, shelter, comfort, counseling, and other services like that. But one day a biological male that identifies as a female shows up and demands to be let in, and, and the shelter responded very graciously and said, we want to help you, but we have to protect the women in our shelter. There's another one down the road for men. We'd be happy to transport you there and take care of you. Uh, but that wasn't good enough for the city of Anchorage. And they went after the shelter demanding that they allow women into this women's only shelter. And that's exactly the type of thing we're going to see if the Equality Act passes happen across the country to shelters and many other places that just want to acknowledge that there are differences between the sexes. Another area that will be uh, severely impacted on this year is uh, certain charities. Uh, for example, adoption agencies. Now, there are a number of adoption agencies that are faith-based, and uh, what they will do, for example, Catholic uh, Social Services, will try to place their, their uh, children with, um, with a married couple. Uh, they will not place with the same-sex couple. I know a lot of, uh, in fact, the, the uh, Lutherans also have something very similar to this, that we have to follow our faith. Now, I know in the city of Philadelphia, they're actually trying to shut down a couple of uh, faith-based adoption agencies there, uh, even though there have been no complaints raised against them. That's right. And, and in the Philadelphia case, what was most shocking about it was at the same time the city was putting out a desperate plea to get hundreds of more families willing to help foster kids and, and provide these kids a loving home. They're telling Catholic Charities, one of the most effective adoption and foster care providers in the city, we don't want your help. In fact, we're going to shut you down and stop doing business with you because we don't like your beliefs that kids thrive best in a home with a married mother and father. Um, this has also happened in New York and Michigan and, and other places across the country. And again, if the Equality Act passes, we're going to see that happen in every single state. The federal government is going to come after these organizations, come after the charitable work that they're doing and tell them you can't operate consistent with your faith. And we would rather run you out of the adoption and foster care business than to allow you to help us to meet families and needs. And I think that's just so harmful, ultimately, to the kids we're trying to protect through our adoption and foster care. 
Um, there's 400,000 kids needing a forever home. And to tell faith-based providers, we don't want you because we don't like your beliefs is terrible and damages and harms the very children that we're trying to protect. Well, that's that's part of it. The the argument I hear on the other side is that, well, you know, because of the religious restrictions, this means that the children are being deprived of, of finding homes with a loving family, quote unquote. Uh, but that's really not the case. Uh, what they're doing is that if they shut these down, these cases will be thrown over now to an overburdened state system. Yeah, that's exactly right. When you've got, you know, kids desperate for a home and you've got organizations that are very effective at recruiting families. These, these religious adoption providers are able to go into faith communities and churches and recruit families that otherwise may never enter into the system. And I think it, if we want as many kids as possible getting out of the state system and into a home, we ought to be welcomed with open arms, a broad diversity of providers coming in, including those that are religious and have beliefs about uh, children deserving a married mother and father. Well, over and above that, it would discourage, I think, uh, some parents from actually uh, giving their children up for adoption uh, for a better situation. I have a, a a close friend of mine who is an adoptee, uh, was adopted from a Lutheran agency out in California, and uh, her birth parent specifically wanted this child to go to a Lutheran, to a Lutheran agency and, lo- and learn the Lutheran values. Uh, had that opportunity not arisen, she might well have opted for abortion. You know, I have heard similar stories. Um, and just from a pro-life perspective, if we want to let expectant mothers know, not only can you save your child's life, but you can make sure they get raised in, a, in an environment that shares your faith values or things like that. We think that's important. We think that's an incredibly important message to communicate to expectant moms so that they do choose life and know that they can still have their child raised in a way that's consistent with their beliefs and values. And so I do think that is not just in the perspective of protecting adoption providers, but also giving more options to expectant mothers um, so that they ultimately choose life rather than abortion. One thing I find ironic in the uh, in the Equality Act bill is that, you know, there's a concept of separation of church and state, the idea being rightly or wrongly, the idea being that religion doesn't belong in, uh, in, in government. And yet, what we're seeing here is government directly interfering with religion. That's exactly right. It is government micromanaging religion, telling it how it can operate, uh, what it can believe if it wants to be able to do adoption services or other social services and things like that. When you look back to the founders' original concerns about uh, the free exercise of religion and the establishment clause, their concern was always the government coming in and taking over the church, not the church influencing society and the government. And so the very concern that the founders express is what we're seeing now, where the government is coming in and dictating these are acceptable beliefs, these are not. If you want the government's blessing, if you want the government to allow you to operate freely in our society, then you can have these beliefs, but you can't have those. And I think that would cause all of our founders to to absolutely shudder to know that this is what's happening now. And I think it highlights the importance of what ADF and others are doing to defend these freedoms and to hold fast to our founders' original vision of a society where religion is free to flourish without any restrictions or government control or 
government dictating what they can believe and how they can live out those beliefs in their daily lives. One aspect of the bill uh, that is, <laughs> again, ironic, I suppose, is it is horribly uh, unfair to women. Yes, it is. There have been cases across the country where state versions, local versions of the Equality Act have been used to undermine women's opportunities as it relates to sports, as it relates to business opportunities and other things. Because what happens is when you've got something like a women's sports league, under the Equality Act, men who identify as women must be allowed to compete. And we saw this happen in Connecticut where three young women who were great track stars found themselves being forced to compete, compete against two biological males. And these, they just dominated. Uh, the males were winning over 15 state and regional championships, over 80 times where a girl lost a spot on the podium, where she lost the opportunity to advance or otherwise lost some benefit as a result of these two biological males taking away the opportunities from them. And you think of the long-term consequences from this, the lost scholarships, the other benefits that flow from religion or that flow from participation in sports. And all of those are lost when something like the Equality Act passes and opens women's sports up to biological males being allowed to compete. Well, oddly enough, the, uh, the ACLU just issued a statement saying that uh, there's really uh, no evidence to show that uh, trans, that, that, that uh, gender-confused men are, have, have any uh, ad, advantage over women, which is utter nonsense. I mean, the, the science is very clear on this, where there's a difference in body mass, there's a difference in bone density, there's a difference in muscle, uh, muscle uh, uh, strength, there is a difference in lung capacity. <laughs> the, these, these differences exist whether the person is has undergone uh, transition therapy or, or whatever it is that they do to uh, lower testosterone. The effects is still there. That's exactly right. There has been study after study coming out recently that have all come to that exact conclusion. Biological males have undeniable advantages over women when it comes to a lot of athletics. Um, whether it's endurance, whether it's speed, whether it's muscle strength, and that even if you've got a male that takes testosterone suppression for one year, two years, it doesn't take away that, that those benefits that he naturally has. And that goes back to why do we have separate sports teams to begin with? Why did we pass Title IX decades ago to ensure that there are equal opportunities for women? Because otherwise, if all that you have are co-ed teams, then women are always going to find themselves spectators in sport. But because of Title IX and because of separation of sports teams, we have women that are able to thrive, to use their God-given talents in ways that they may not be, otherwise be able to, and to ultimately experience the thrill of victory. Like one of my favorite statistics was 95% um, of women executives in, in business in America participated in sports. And when they surveyed them, they talk about the, the teamwork, the leadership skills, the confidence that they built through all of that. All of that is going to be lost if we continue to allow biological males to take these opportunities away from women, if we continue to ignore science that clearly shows the advantages that men have, if we continue to ignore common sense that just says having separate teams for men and women is the best way to create a fair and level playing field. Another aspect of it uh, is uh, the idea of freedom of conscience. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, about uh, Mr. Phillips, uh, Jack Phillips, with his problems with Masterpiece Cake Shop. And as I read the uh, law, the bill, 
these people who artists, let's say, who it's not a matter of, of selling something off the shelf. It's being it's it's creating something, whether it's a, a floral arrangement, whether it's a, a specialty cake. I've seen his his designs are beautiful. Uh, they would not have the option to decline. If they do, if they do decline and say, I have to follow my conscience rather than in, in, in follow what is essentially enforced uh, speech, they will be punished to the point where they'll lose their business and possibly even face criminal charges. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, our clients with Jack Phillips, the Colorado cake artist and Baronel Stutzman, the florist, um, they are both still in litigation over this. Jack went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and won, and after that has now been dragged back into court because he didn't want to create a cake celebrating a gender transition, uh, a biological male that wanted to celebrate uh, coming out as a female. And now Jack is being dragged back into the same courts, making the same defenses again. And Baronel Stutzman is still waiting to see if the Supreme Court will take her case after having uh, the Washington State Supreme Court rule against her twice on this. And it just shows the importance of protecting religious liberty for these small business owners, for these creative professionals, that they don't want to be forced to communicate a message they disagree with. We talked earlier about, you know, pronouns and language use. Um, just like none of us would want to be forced to use a pronoun that is false or, or to say something that violates our beliefs and convictions, Baronel and Jack speak through what they create. They speak through cakes. They speak through floral arrangements and celebrate events consistent with their beliefs. And, and to be told that they must celebrate events and speak messages that violate the core of who they are, their relationship between them and their creator is repugnant to our constitution and something that we should all recognize laws should never require individuals to do that. Because if the laws can force Jack and Baronel to do it, what else can the laws force people to speak and communicate? Well, one thing I'm seeing are uh, with this concept of compelled speech are in uh, certain schools where uh, the teacher, professor must refer to a person by the, by the pronoun, by the preferred pronoun. And if they refuse, there's, uh, there's going to be some problems. Yeah. You know, I, I always like to give an analogy because a lot of people will say, what's the big deal with pronoun use? Well, pronoun use communicates a truth. And to tell someone to speak something that they don't believe is true, that isn't true, violates our right to free speech. So I said, what if it's part of my beliefs? I said, when I greet you, I want you to respond to me, Jesus is Lord. And so I'd say, Kip, Jesus is Lord. And you say, yes, he is. And I demand that as a response every time we meet. Well, we would all recoil at that because no one should be forced to communicate something about these deep personal religious beliefs, whether it's Jesus or Muhammad or whatever your beliefs would be. And yet telling teachers, students, and others that they must use inaccurate pronouns is doing the same thing. It is forcing them to communicate a belief about the nature of male and female, that it's changeable, that a lot of people don't believe, and that, frankly, science doesn't back up. Um, our sex, our biological sex is written into every cell of our body. And to tell someone, you must say that is false, and you must accept that someone can change their biological sex, that they can change their gender, it violates those deep beliefs, and we should not force people to communicate, even in a, something as simple as a, a pronoun, a greeting, something that is conflicts with their beliefs, their understanding of truth, and, and frankly, science in this situation. Another aspect that I'm looking at here is uh, how it might affect the, uh, for example, the medical business, the medical industry, uh, where a doctor 
might want to refuse to to uh, conduct a double mastectomy on a teenage girl who suddenly decides that she's a man. Yeah. When doctors enter the profession, um, the, the oath we all know, the Hippocratic Oath, first, do no harm. And so we're, we're seeing more and more doctors, nurses, medical professionals say, it feels to me like I'm doing harm if I've got a 14-year-old girl that's wanting to remove perfectly healthy organs, or if a young man that's wanting to change his reproductive anatomy because he identifies as, as a different gender than his biological sex. And these doctors are looking to saying, I can't in good conscience do that. I can't use my talents to do something that I believe is harming these young children. And yet under the Equality Act, they could be forced to do that. They could be charged for under these sexual orientation, gender identity, non-discrimination laws, um, accusing them of discrimination for simply declining to remove perfectly healthy body parts from, from young children and others. And I think it's so vital that we protect medical conscience to make sure that we're never forcing our medical providers to perform services that violate their deeply held religious convictions, especially in areas where there's, again, a growing body of evidence about the long-term harms that these procedures, that these hormones do to children. We're ultimately sterilizing them for life. And I think doctors and nurses should be able to say, I don't want any part of that. Another aspect would be uh, parental rights. Uh, does a, a child have the right to tell the parent, oh, I'm a boy or I'm a girl, and uh, actually have, have face the uh, possibility that the state would take away the child from a family who, who opposes that kind of transition? Now, we actually saw this play out in Ohio a couple of years ago, where uh, a teenage girl was wanting to go through some of these gender identity transition procedures. And the parents said, we don't think this is in your best interest. Well, next thing you know, they're dragged into court and lose custody of their daughter because they, they didn't think that was best for her. And so we're dealing with issues of can parents still decide what is best for their children? Can they still make these decisions related to their medical care? Or is the state going to take away custody, take away their parental rights? Because parents say, my 14 year old doesn't know what it's going to be like to one day not be able to have children if they go through these procedures. And shouldn't parents be able to be involved and say, look, one day you're going to be adult and you can make your own decisions. But right now, you need to trust us and you need you need to know that we're acting with your best interest in mind when we say you don't need to be going through these procedures. You don't need to be doing that. And yet here comes the state knocking on their door saying, no, don't you dare question that child's beliefs about their biological sex. Don't you dare pause them from going through something that can render them permanently sterile. And I think we have to take a stand for the rights of parents, because ultimately, if parents are kicked out, we're going to end up with children who don't have the moral direction, that they don't have the loving parents that love them more than any state ever could. And I think that's vital to keeping our promise to kids to give them everything that they need, but also giving them good, solid parental guidance to help them as they're transitioning to adulthood. Well, let's take a look at Washington for the moment. Uh, the bill has passed the House. As I said, there's also a, a Senate version of it. And uh, the Democrats do control both, uh, both of the houses of Congress right now. Are we looking at a real possibility this thing is going to go into law? Well, we do know the Biden administration, like you said, is making this one of their priorities. Um, the thing that gives me comfort is we do still have the filibuster. And we know that, do know that there are a lot of legislators that have deep concerns like the ones we've been talking about today 
uh, and that we hope we'll continue to stand firm on that and to recognize that um, if we're going to do this, this should not be something that's being pushed through by um, a, a progressive wing, a progressive ideology. But um, we, we do feel like the, the filibuster is going to be an important check to make sure that this doesn't come into effect. But I would caution people. That doesn't mean we can rest and say, well, OK, we've got the filibuster and we'll be able to stop it because the Biden administration is going to be pushing this in a thousand different ways. Every regulation that comes out, they're going to be exploring ways to put portions of the Equality Act. Any other bill, even a budget bill where you don't have the filibuster, they're going to try and find ways to push this. So I think it's going to be vital for all of us to be vigilant and to not just say, well, the Equality Act has been put on pause. We can rest easy. No, we're going to be fighting a thousand little battles because they're going to find every way they can to undermine our religious liberty, our free speech, our freedom of conscience through this administration, pushing a progressive agenda that finds every way they can to get the Equality Act into law. It reminds me a lot of uh, Obamacare, where uh, Nancy Pelosi said, going, well, we'll just have to pass it to see what's in it. And then it goes up to the Senate and uh, they pull this uh, reconciliation stunt. Yep. And I think that's exactly some of the same game plan we may see, where they try and find some budget bill to insert all of this in. Um, and we, we're still today seeing the consequences of Obamacare and now having Biden say, hey, some of the worst parts of it, those violations of conscience, forcing people to pay for abortion, inducing drugs and procedures, we're going to double down on that. And it just goes to show that we're going to have to be vigilant. And it may be in a budget process that they do it or some other bill. But we always have to stand firm that these are foundational freedoms that we're fighting for, freedoms that are worth going to the line, worth exercising a filibuster, worth standing firm on because there are countless Americans that are going to be impacted by this, that are going to have their freedoms stripped away if the Equality Act or any portion of it gets enacted into law. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of the program. Uh, I'm a, we're, we're painting a rather frightening picture, but it's not hopeless. There are things that we can do to uh, maintain, if you will, our, our liberties and our freedoms. Uh, and certainly ADF is one of the uh, Frontline soldiers in this. I want to thank you very much for being on the program and thank you personally and ADF for your work. Thank you for having me on, Kip. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.